0: Welcome to Are You Up Babes. I'm so glad that you've joined me as we look at the Bible together, as we look at how God's word speaks to us and ministers to us in our lives where we're at to bring change firstly into our lives and then to bring change into the lives of the of others. And today I'm camping in the book of Luke. So, the New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor, and he was a Greek man, and he was a second-generation Christian. He accompanied the Apostle Paul. And Luke, at the beginning of the book, actually says that he's writing this to his friend, Theopolis. Now, The book, Luke, is actually for people who were non-believers to actually see the authenticity of Jesus, to see that the truth was that Jesus was the Messiah, that his hope would be that as they read the book, their lives would change and they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as they saw the account of Jesus' life and how he was crucified for our sin. As we look at Luke chapter 8, it starts by telling us that Jesus began a tour of the nearby villages and towns. Now that's really important because Jesus was a carpenter by trade. That was what he did but it wasn't his purpose and his purpose now as his ministry starts is to go everywhere to teach and to preach to people about the kingdom of God and he goes on a tour to these towns and these villages and you know what? He takes his 12 disciples with him but the Bible also says there were a group of women who accompanied him women who he had healed from demons and diseases and now these women accompanied and it actually lists who they were it says among them was Mary Magdalene who Jesus had cast seven demons out of her Susanna amongst the other women there was Susanna if I can pronounce it like that I have no idea how you would pronounce that as a good Jewish name and then there was Joanna who was the wife of Cusa who was Herod's business manager. Now let's just stop and look at that for a minute. King Herod was the same king whom John the Baptist had approached and John the Baptist had said to him, what you were doing is wrong because King Herod was dating his brother's wife and her name was Herodias. And we know that later on, John the Baptist was beheaded when Herodias' daughter did a dance for King Herod and he was so pleased by the dance. He asked her what she wanted. She could ask him for anything anything. And Herodias advised her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so this is the same King Herod that when Jesus was crucified, Pontius Pilate sent Jesus to King Herod. And King Herod wasn't very impressed with Jesus because he wanted to see miracles. He wanted a display. And of course, Jesus didn't do any of that. And so this Cusa, who is Joanna's husband, worked for the king. He was one of his business managers. So think of the influence that someone in the palace, someone in the king's sphere, his wife was a loyal disciple, if we can call her that, of Jesus. She followed Jesus and these women whose lives had been so incredibly impacted by Jesus actually took their money, their own resources to support Jesus's ministry, to support Jesus and his disciples. And you know, it often makes me think of the dedicated women who are in church, who lay down their lives for Jesus, who love him with all of their heart. I know my mom was like that. She absolutely loved the Lord. She loved to be in his house. She loved to spend time with him. She loved to take the nuns or the priests for lunch to spoil them and she loved to have prayer times or what we would call soul groups together to grow in the Lord well this is what those women must have looked like women who just loved Jesus and dedicated their lives to him why because he had impacted them he had changed their lives from sickness to healing from being tortured and demonically bound to set free and that is what the cross does for all of us And so the Bible tells us that Jesus taught and he preached wherever he went so that people's lives would change. And he preached about the kingdom of God coming. And he often preached with parables so that the people would lean forward in interest as he shared about these parables. But these parables were always about the kingdom of God, about obeying the word. And then it says one day, and I love it in the Bible when it says one day, we can often skip over that word one day as just another day as the Bible tells us a story, an account of something that happened. But one day in the Bible always means that someone's life has been impacted to be changed, never to be the same again. If you look in the Bible, one day often is an account of someone, we don't know the history, but they prayed for years and years and years. They went to God and cried out to Him, pleading for a breakthrough, for some change in their life to happen. And then one day... Jesus steps in one day the miracle comes and it changes their future and so it says one day Jesus says to his disciples let's cross over to the other side of the lake now Jesus didn't feel like a rest Jesus didn't feel like going on holiday everything Jesus did had purpose to it he must have been incredibly tired because the bible says that as they were crossing he fell asleep on this boat And this incredible storm came up It said that the water was raging around them Now I am not a sea person I like looking at it from a distance But the moment you're on a boat And the water's a little bit choppy It can be quite a fearful thing Now the disciples who are fishermen I mean a lot of them there were fishermen And they were used to the conditions of the sea and the weather But the water was raging The storm was raging around them And the Bible says water was coming Coming into the boat and Jesus was asleep. But you see, Jesus knew he was not going to die. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew he was going to the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. And so he's resting. And isn't that what it is? That we should always be resting in God. When we rest in him, we are filled with peace but his disciples actually scream and say, they freak out and scream and say, master, master, we are perishing. Now, I have a rescue dog. She's very, very sweet, but she literally thinks her life is under attack all of the time. If something around her falls or makes a noise or she happens to be walking and there's an extension cord with a plug, she won't go near it. She thinks her life is under attack all the time. She literally thinks that she's perishing. Of course, if you're carrying a cup or plate and they clang together as you're carrying them or you happen to drop something near her she goes scooting out of the house literally thinking her life has come to an end The disciples must have been feeling very much like this, that they would shout, Master, Master, we are perishing. We are going to die. All they could see was this water flooding into their boat, the storm that was incredible. And they cry out to Jesus. And Jesus wakes up. He rebuked the storm that the wind goes quiet. It goes from this incredible storm to complete calmness and the water goes calm the winds die everything is quiet and then he says to them where is your faith and you see you can't have fear and faith in the same boat they don't coexist they don't work together when one comes the other one must flee and we've got to ensure that it's always fear that flees and not faith that flees He says to them, where is your faith? And the Bible says they were amazed and they were terrified at the same time. They were in awe of what happened and filled with fear. And then they say, even the winds and the water... Obey him. You see, that's how you know God is the creator of the universe, that he speaks and it listens. It allows him to speak exactly what should be. As God says, let there be, there is. And so, if you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, don't worry about anything don't worry about anything. It's actually a command to us not to worry about anything. Now, in our humanity, that is an incredible challenge because we can worry about everything. And for some of us, our worry is on a 10 all day, 24-7. And for some of us, our worry is on a 5, depending. And for some of us, we don't worry. Now, we all need to get to the do not worry because the Bible says don't worry about anything, anything. Not some things or depending, anything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So what should we pray? Whatever comes to your head, pray about. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Ask God. With thanksgiving. Speak to God, tell God, but there must be an attitude of thanksgiving. We come to Him in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. We enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise. And it says, The peace of God that passes understanding, His peace will fill us. And that's exactly, Jesus was resting. There was peace. He was not concerned about anything, He was not fearful for His life or for anything. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes and when they get there as Jesus is getting out of the boat the Bible says a man possessed with demons, comes out to meet him. That's quite amazing. This man who is possessed with demons comes out to meet him. The Bible tells us for a long time, this man was homeless and he was a naked man. They would try and shackle him and chain him. He was violent and they would put him under a guard. A guard would be watching him with shackles and chains and the demons would break the shackles and chains free and he would run into the wilderness shrieking. He was tormented. He would cut himself. The Bible tells us he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead. He lived among the dead things. There was deadness in his life. There was no purpose. There was no hope. His life had literally, the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it was literally what the devil had done to him. But as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Now, as you look at this, you understand this is not an earthly thing because the demons inside of this man recognized Jesus as the son of the most high God. There was almost a heavenly scene happening as these fallen angels, these demonic spirits encounter the son of God and they shriek and they say, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. This is the demon speaking to Jesus. And Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. I love that. That while they're shrieking, he's not even entertaining. He's commanded the evil spirit to come out. The Bible then tells us that Jesus asked the demon his name. And the demon said, Legion, for we are many. And he then begs Jesus to please send them into the pigs. There were a herd of pigs there, and He says to Jesus, please send us into the herd of pigs. Don't send us to the bottomless pit. Again, a conversation unknown to man, unknown to the understanding of man. But these demons know exactly about the realm of heaven, the realm of hell and how they as fallen must go. And Jesus tells them they can go. Now the pigs were on a steep hill. And when these demons came into the pigs, they plunged down the steep hill into the lake and drowned. The herdsmen who were watching were absolutely terrified and ran into the town to call the people and tell them what had happened. When they came back, they found Jesus with this man Who is now fully dressed, sitting at Jesus' feet, and he's talking, and he's learning. Jesus has touched this man's life and changed him. He's dressed, he's in his right mind, and he's talking to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to him, ministering to his heart. But you know, the Bible says they were terrified. They were filled with fear. They look at what's gone on. They see dead pigs. Now, maybe you're asking, why would Jesus kill the pigs? I just want you to stop for a second. You know, sometimes we ask the wrong question. We ask Lord, why did that happen? Our focus is on the wrong thing. We ask the wrong question. The thing is, there's a lot of things we don't know. And we don't know what we don't know. You're not going to suddenly know what you don't know. And then you question God about what you don't know when God knows everything. And, you know, I, I have lost beloved members of my family and tragically. And one of the things I ensured not to do was to ask God why that happened. Why did that happen? Why didn't I ask God that? Because God is not the author of our pain. God does not do evil things to us. God will not do things to us to harm us, to hurt us. God is not the author of our pain. And so when this happens, the right question to ask is, how's this man going to change the world around him after Jesus? has touched his life because his life was changed forever. What is God going to do through his life? You see, the devil distracts us with, oh no, why would he do that? Doesn't God love animals? How cruel. It's the wrong question. If you read the Bible, you know that God loves animals. He created them. And if you look at the story of Jonah, when God sent Jonah to save the city, there were animals in that city that were saved. So... It's really the wrong question to be asking. But now what happens is they say to Jesus, please leave. You know, I've often read the story and just seen people are fearful going, please leave. I don't think it was a peaceful situation. I think it may have been quite conflicting. They were completely freaked out and they wanted Jesus gone. And they probably were quite conflicting with Jesus just to get out, get out. What have you done? Look what you've done. Their focus would have been on the pigs and not on this homeless man whose life had changed and the bible says jesus goes back to the boat he gets in and the the man who's now been completely healed comes to jesus and he begs him please take me with you please i want to follow you and you know jesus says the most phenomenal thing to him he says to him no go back to your family and tell them everything that god has done for you no Go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. Yeah, we see how important family is to Jesus. This man has not been with his family for how long? But Jesus has not only now restored him, he wants the family restored. Who knows how long this man's mother had been praying. Maybe he was married. Maybe he had children, his sisters, brothers, a grandmother praying. But yeah, Jesus says, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. the Bible says that he went out into the towns to tell them about everything Jesus had done. For him. And this is how you know he encountered God, because he'd encountered Jesus. He knew Jesus was God. He understood he'd met the Son of God. And so he goes and he tells them what Jesus has done for him. He proclaimed the great things Jesus had done. He became a testimony. His life was a testimony. And you see, that's what it's about. Jesus really wants to restore your family. Maybe as you're watching today you don't have a good relationship with someone or with many people in your family maybe you haven't spoken to someone for years maybe someone has left and you've been praying for them to come back to their senses like the prodigal son story You know, I have testimony over and over I've seen how people pray someone would come back to their senses and God does a radical miracle work that that person comes back to their senses and returns back to their family and the family is restored, the relationships are restored and that's exactly what Jesus did here and that is what he wants to do for you and so it's always family. He always wants to reach the family because when the family is whole, the family can reach the towns and everyone else. Reinhard Bonnke, who passed away in 2019, he was a phenomenal man, a phenomenal evangelist, a phenomenal man of God. And he said this, he said, the gospel and nothing else on earth matters. The gospel and nothing else on earth matters. Not fame, not money, not earthly pleasures, nor life itself. Jesus had a total attraction for the wretched. I love that. And you know, when we meet Jesus and we are radically changed, we just want to tell people what Jesus has done for us. It is our first priority. It is our only priority. And you know, I've had a few conversations with people where they've said to me, it's so difficult to speak to people about Jesus. And my question was to them, if you were able to bring five people every single week to church, would you want to? And don't think about that. Just think about the question. If I was able to bring five people to church every week, I asked someone, I asked five people, and every week they said, yes, how would that make me feel? And, of course, the answer is absolutely awesome because we want to get people into the presence of Jesus Christ we want their lives to change we want their families to change the problem comes in now when we start putting reasoning and excuses and darts into that and go i want that but i'm an introvert but i don't really like asking but i don't really know what to say but i hate the way they always give me excuses i hate the way i am rejected. You see, isn't that the way the devil wants us to think? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy generations that could come to know Jesus that aren't because we are not telling them. And really, it's not a hard thing. It's not exercise. It's the love of God permeating inside of us that we would be desperate to tell people that they too would feel the joy of the Lord as their lives are changed. Let's think of those women whose lives were radically changed. Let's go back to Luke. Luke wrote this gospel to Theopolis. Theopolis could have possibly been a non-believer. Luke wanted him to read this book so that his life would be dramatically changed as he was convinced as he read this book of the authenticity of Jesus being the son of God the blood of Jesus shed for our complete victory for your family for every relationship and perhaps in closing I want to say this if there's someone you are not speaking to in your family God wants you to fix that relationship the step one would be to get together with the Lord and say to God, forgive me for holding unforgiveness. I forgive them. I forgive them for hurting me. I forgive them for betraying me. I forgive them for rejecting me. I forgive them for stabbing me in the back. I forgive them for abusing me. Maybe it's sexual abuse. I wanna to say you, it is not God's plan. He was not the author of that decision for that person to do that. It's not okay. But the unforgiveness will poison you. It will destroy you. And God doesn't want that. And when you forgive, there is freedom in forgiveness. As God has forgiven us, we can forgive others. And then the second step is to ask God, ask His Holy Spirit to show you how that relationship can be restored. Firstly, you have to forgive that person. That that grinding, irritating feeling when you hear about them or talk about them or think about them is gone. You feel peace. You feel this lightness. You feel this freedom. And I promise you one prayer where you really intentionally do that is all you need. Really to say, Lord, from my heart, I forgive them. You don't need 10 years of counseling. You just need the will to do it. And then ask God, do I pick up the phone and ask them how they're doing? Do I meet them for coffee, not to tell them how much you've forgiven them? No. Do I just smile and be pleasant when I see them the next time? Maybe God's telling you just to change your attitude. And this is the thing is we've had so many people who've come to church, young teenagers. They radically changed by Jesus. They come to church and they encounter Jesus, but they go back home and the attitude remains. Perhaps when they're asked to do the duties in the house, they're supposed to do because they don't want to do it, which is the old nature. And now we've got to learn how to walk in the new nature. They don't do that. Instead, they use the church as an excuse as to why they have to leave the house. And so what happens at home? The family don't see a change because of Jesus. They see the same old, same old, or they see an even ruder version. And so what Jesus should have been in that family radical change is not the case and so really we have to look at ourselves we have to look at our old habits and are we carrying our old nature our old habits into our testimony as a believer of Jesus Christ if the answer is yes we are Really not bringing the testimony of the love of God and the goodness of God into the places where we are supposed to be bringing restoration. Remember the Bible says we are in the ministry of reconciliation, which means firstly that the family unit is restored, but then we are restoring people to Jesus. And as people get to Jesus, their lives change. So my challenge is, if you say you've gotten to Jesus, but your life hasn't changed, your testimony will be no testimony at all. Because when people look at you and they see the change, this man had gone from naked, from crazy, to renewed, dressed, and in his right mind. Can you imagine the crowds that would have listened to him? That is the effect we should be having on people's lives. Not because we're fake, because Jesus has changed us. Amen. And so my prayer is that we would look at the things in our lives where maybe we are not giving glory to God because we're acting in our fleshly nature and not in our new nature. And remember... The old is gone and the new has come, but there are old habits we have to learn to change. And so getting irritated or being negative or complaining or having a bad attitude or being rude, it's all part of the old nature. It's old habits that need to change. And instead of being condemned, we bring them to the Lord. We bring them to the cross. We lay them down. We make the exchange for the fruit of the Spirit. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we walk away changing the whole village, the whole town, the whole community, our family, because of what Jesus did. He said, no, go back to your family and tell them of the great things that God has done for you. Amen. Can we do that? Let our family be witness to the goodness of God in our lives. And so we're going to pray together. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I just lift up each one of us, Father. I pray if anyone is listening who is battling with unforgiveness, Father, let that poison no longer destroy them, but give them the will today to come before you, to lay that down at your feet and to forgive completely. Father, I pray that you would restore those or that relationship. And I ask you, Father, that we would no longer walk in our old nature. But I pray, Father, you would help us to change the habits and that we would instead walk in the fruit of your spirit. I pray, Lord, we would be guided by your Holy Spirit and that our lives would become a message to our families, to our loved ones and to our community. Father, we really want to bring you glory. Please help us through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. I'll see you next week.